Thank you, Jesus. Um, we'll just pray. Thank you, Father, um, that you're an ever-present help to us. Um, no matter where we're at, we are, no matter what's going on in our life, thank you, Father, that your, your heart is to always draw near to us, to help us um, wherever we're at, even should you find us in the place where we're struggling with unbelief, that uh, you don't despise us in that place, but that you're with us to help us um, in our unbelief. You're with us to, to help um, our hearts be filled with faith. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you love our lives more than your own. Thank you that you are our good shepherd and that you are all the time shepherding our lives into your love for us, shepherding our lives with your love. Thank you that you've spread your skirt over us. Thank you that you have uh, spread your life over us. Thank you, Lord, that um, we're under the reign of your indestructible life. Thank you that you've hedged us about with your life. Thank you that we're like trees planted by the rivers of water, that even as the heat in this world, uh, even as the death in this world tries to scorch us, that we'll be like a tree that never ceases in its fruitfulness, that even as the world around us may be full of decay and perishing, our lives will be a tree bearing your fruit. Thank you, Father, for upholding us. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, the, the name of the message is Help for Unbelief. Um, I grew up in a system that said there was no help for you if you were in unbelief. I grew up in the kind of system, um, they didn't really know God, and so it's not the people's fault. But when you don't know God and you have a lot to say about God, you can say a lot of things that are not very helpful. <laughs> and you can say a lot of things that aren't true. And so I grew up in a system where the system was, um, if you're in unbelief, God can't help you, right? And not only he can't help you, he won't help you, <laughs> Right? It's kind of like, you know, there's a God way up there, and if you'll just believe, then he'll help you, right? And if you're, you're in unbelief, you're kind of on your own until you can sort it out. And I, I grew up in that, that kind of system. So the message of uh, being helped in our unbelief is, is near and dear to me. And I find it to be one of the most powerful things that God has worked in my life. Um, the, the truth that I, I'm going to share today and and, and probably um, when I think about my own life, you know, sometimes people can see me sitting up here talking all the time and they can see me speak swelling words that are filled with confidence and boldness and liberty and freedom and power and might. And they wouldn't be wrong to, to discern that's what's coming out of me. But the, the reason it's come out of me is because the word of God's life has been made flesh in me. And the swelling words of might that are coming out of my mouth aren't about my strength or the goodness in myself. It's about the God who brought forth his life in me, right? And um, when I think back over the course of my life, I'm, I'm probably the chief of all the sinners um, in the sense of I'm the chief of all the people that were ever filled with unbelief. I'm the chief of that, that kind of a guy right? That I probably struggled with unbelief more than anyone because I grew up in my life um, thinking the power unto a good life was found in my ability to perfect everything myself. I grew up believing that as a very young child and I walked in that way for a very long time. 
And it was very deceiving to me because I actually possessed some ability in myself. That's why it's so deceiving to humans. We actually do possess some ability. You can actually produce some fruit. I mean, Abraham produced an Ishmael. Right? So there was some fruit that Abraham produced. It just wasn't the fruit of God's life. And so, man, I, I had some ability, and so I, I, I thought that I could perfect things. And so I went on that way for a long time. And so the bread that I ate, my daily bread every day, was not the strength in God's hand to produce life or the strength of his life. I wasn't, that wasn't my daily bread. Every day from the time I was a very little boy, my daily bread was the strength in my own hand. And so I was all the time feeding on the strength in my own hand. And I thought that strength was the power unto me having life. Now, if you go through your whole life like that, and then you, you're confronted with the message of grace, and you realize that life isn't found in your own works. I mean, you come to an intellectual understanding at first, and you're like, that's true. You look in the scriptures, and you see there's no disputing it. But then you're stuck with this thing in your heart where your heart has been trained to all the time look at the life you have in the world, and all the time look at whether or not you see weakness or strength there. And to all the time weigh your own ability to perfect the life you have in the world. I mean, I lived there for a long time after I came to the intellectual understanding that I couldn't give myself life. Where my life, my heart felt torment and pain. Um, there was a time in my life, even after I'd come to the revelation of grace, because I came to the revelation of grace when I was 19 years old when it first happened. I'm 45 now. And I would say even... Uh, after I was 30 years old, I'd been a decade walking in some form of the grace, right? Now, obviously, I can look back now and see, well, I wasn't, you know, I had an idea of the grace, but I didn't really see it in its totality of the truth. But even after I was 30 years old, man, when I look back on my own life, um, there was a time in my life where I found myself in the place where my mind was always filled with the weakness I saw in myself and the weakness I saw in the world around me. And that, that was my daily bread. Like my imagination was captivated by the weakness I saw in myself. Like I didn't, It's not like I tried to do it, but it's like every day I was aware of the weakness I saw in myself and the weakness I saw around me. You see, that was a very tormenting thing because in that place I sat with an understanding that I couldn't have life by my own strength. <laughs> so not only did I know I couldn't have life by my own strength, but my daily bread was the weakness I saw in myself. <laughs> that was a very tormenting thing, man. It's like I was filling my belly every day with the weakness of the flesh and the weakness I saw in the world around me. And boy, that was not a nice deal when I realized, because there's no hope to change that. Did you see what I'm saying? Because I knew enough to know, well, I can't, I, this weakness is here, I can't fix it. But all the time, that's all I'm beholding every day is the weakness in my flesh and the weakness in my life and the weakness I see all around me. And all because that was my daily bread every day, all I could think of was how all these things were in the way of me having life. And that's all I could be filled with every day. And uh, I prayed. The grace did enough for me at that point that I knew enough about God not despising me 
that I at least connected with God in that place. Right? And I began praying all the time. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I said that every day, you know, like tears, sackcloth and ashes, like they would say in the Old Testament, right? Where, right, your soul is sorrowful even unto death. And you, you know the truth, but you're like, but I'm not experiencing what the heck, man. Lord, I believe. I believe, I believe that you're my father. I believe that I'm your son. My unbelief. You know, like the, uh, uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's the sound like now? Because I just broke the microphone. Um, the clip. The clip has been broken. Sorry, you guys watching online as I mess with this mic, but I'm going to try and figure out if I could... I'm going to try and work it this way. No, no, that's not going to help. Thanks, so. No, that won't help either. Thank you, though. Well, I'm thankful for you guys. Listen, man, we cannot we cannot fix the body of death. No, I'm joking. Thank you, guys. I mean, we really can't fix the body of death, but that's not what's going on here. All right. Hopefully, this will this will work. Um, okay. Well, hopefully, this will stay here. Is what I'm saying. If you guys notice it fall off of me, somebody tell me so I can grab it. No, no, no. It's all good. The tape won't work. I'll sweat through the tape. But. In that place, I, I was all the time praying to God, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, like the, the father of the demonized boy, the, the boy that had the deaf and the dumb spirit. You know how he, he said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, um, help my unbelief, right? And that's in, I think, Mark 9 and, and Matthew 17. And you got to have both of the accounts mixed together to get the whole um, thing right. Uh, but do you guys notice that Jesus helped that guy in his unbelief? Have you ever n noticed that in the, the passages there? I mean, the guy, there's Jesus, and, and, and the, the, the guy's like, listen, your disciples couldn't cast this deaf and dumb spirit out of my son. And oftentimes, from an early age, this deaf and, and dumb spirit that's in my son would thrash him on the ground, even in the fire. And I brought him to your disciples, and, and they couldn't cast out the demon. And, and he brings him to Jesus, and Jesus says, um, if you can believe, nothing is impossible for you. And the guy says to Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. You know, and, and Jesus actually did help the guy, the father of the, the boy that was demonized, because what Jesus did there was he, he manifested the goodness in the father's heart towards the guy, right there on the spot. He manifested the righteousness of the Father towards human beings right there on the spot. Because he cast out the demon. He casted out the demon right there. And so Jesus 
Jesus saw that the work of the Father was to be good to people and to send sin and death away from people by serving them with his life. He saw that's how the Father gets down. He saw when the Father is made manifest, the Father is filled with so much goodness in his heart towards sinners, towards people being tormented by sin and death, that the Father is filled with so much goodness toward them that when the Father manifests himself in their midst, what the Father does is he sends sin and death away from them, and the way he sends sin and death away from them is by serving them with his life. And so Jesus manifested the working or the work of the Father in that guy's midst. Because he cleansed this boy from that deaf and dumb spirit that comes from the serpent system of death. Boom. You know, and it's actually a very beautiful thing that was going on in the father of the demonized boy. It's actually a magnificently beautiful thing that was going on in that father. In fact, it's one of the most, and you don't have to agree with me if you don't want, but for my opinion, it's, it's one of the most beautiful and authentic and vulnerable and innocent prayers that anyone could ever say what came out of the father of that demonized boy. And it's like, we're so focused on unbelief and unbelief makes God angry. Unbelief causes Jesus to be upset. And so we, we kind of miss the beauty of what, what's going on in that guy and, and what comes out of his heart. Yes, that guy had some unbelief, but he saw that he couldn't deliver himself from unbelief. <laughs> and he saw the God that was manifesting in Jesus was not the kind of God that left people to sort out their unbelief themselves. And so he comes honestly. And he realizes, I can't deliver myself from unbelief. And he looked to Jesus in the work of God to deliver him from unbelief. Even in the midst of the unbelief that was present with him, the work of God was magnified in his sight. He said, unbelief is present with me. But the work of God can heal or help me in my unbelief. His heart actually glorified the work of God the working of God when he was in the place of unbelief. He actually come, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Do you see how his heart was glorifying God's ability to heal his unbelief? <laughs> it'll really, uh, it'll be like an oxymoron for you because he says he's in unbelief, but that's actually like a mouthful of faith. <laughs> I mean, it's actually a, a, a beautiful thing that happened there, right? He didn't despise himself for the unbelief, neither did he think God was despising him for unbelief. And he said, I am in unbelief, and you know what? The only one who can do a work to deliver me from this unbelief is God. And so he looked to God and the work of God to be delivered from unbelief. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. What's that? From faith to faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. So just real quick, I, I want to put a, 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 a picture or, a, you know, like we say, a, a name to the face. I want to put uh, a label on what unbelief actually is. Because you have what it is and you have the way it looks and the way it works itself out. Um, and so I, I want to put um, a, a clear thought to it. Unbelief is the fruit 
of not seeing God's righteousness towards you to care for your life. I'm going to say that again. Unbelief is the fruit of not seeing God's righteousness towards you to care for your life. You don't see it. If you did see it, you wouldn't have unbelief. And so in whatever situation you might, you're struggling to see God's righteousness or the equitable deed that he's performed to care for your life. And because you aren't seeing the love that God has in his heart for you, and because you aren't seeing that he has enlisted the strength in his hand already to serve you with the life that you long for, what happens is, is you live as if you are an orphan in the earth, looking to the strength in your own hand and the strength in the world's systems to try to determine if you have life. You live there like me. I was every day beholding the weakness I saw in myself and the weakness I saw around me instead of beholding the strength in the work that God did. Do you see? Do you see what my mind was focused on? I wasn't understanding, to put it real simple, I wasn't understanding how God overcoming death in the flesh uh, produces faith in people. And I wasn't understanding that dynamic. So what happens when you don't see the, 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 the righteousness or God's righteousness towards you to care for your life, exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think, you, you live as an orphan in the world and you're, you're looking to the strength or whether you see strength in yourself or not and whether you see strength in the world around you or not to try to determine if you have life or not. Instead of beholding what God has done in Christ to overcome death in the flesh and to build you a body that can never taste death again. That's unbelief. That's what it is. It's for your heart and your mind to be filled with laboring for the meat that perishes. And in fact, what you could say is that your heart and your mind is filled with the meat that perishes. And, you know, Jesus said, eat my flesh, for it is meat indeed. Um, and I'm, I'm connecting more than one thought there, but he, he did say, eat my flesh. And in another place, he says, my flesh is meat indeed, right? And so unbelief is you're eating flesh, but the flesh that you're eating is the body of death, <laughs> the body that can die. That's what you're filling your belly with. Your belly is filled with the weakness of dying flesh. And your mind and your thoughts are filled with the body and the life that's perishable, that's subject to decay, that's subject to corruption, that's actually passing away right now. And your mind is not filled with the, the incorruptible, glorified flesh that God brought forth when he raised Jesus from the dead. Right? And so unbelief is for your heart and your mind to be filled with the, the meat that perishes. Instead of your heart and mind being filled with the meat that endures unto everlasting life. Right? And because your heart and your mind is filled with the body that perishes, instead of the body that's overcome perishability and that can never perish again, what happens is you're filled with labors. And you're laboring actually for the life that's perishing. Instead of walking in the labor that the Father has done to give you a life that's imperishable. Right? And that's how unbelief happens in you. Unbelief is something that happens to you. And the, the way it happens is based upon 
what life your mind is filled with and what body you're feeding on. Are you feeding on a body of death? Are you feeding on a body of an incorruptible life? Which flesh are you filling your belly with? If you look in uh, the Old Testament, I think Numbers chapter 11, it says that the Israelites cried out for flesh. They cried out for flesh. And what that means is, is they were filling their mouths with the corruptible life that was in the world instead of the life that God was serving them from heaven. And because of that, they wanted to go back to Egypt so they could fill their mouth with their own works. Their minds were filled with the power to satisfy our hunger is contained in the works of our own hands. And so they wanted to go back to Egypt where it says at least we could work for meat. That's the result of unbelief. That's the result of your mind or your daily bread being the body of death or the life that's in the world. That's what will happen to you. The the scriptures says the Israelites staggered at the promise of God through unbelief. It says they staggered at the promise of God through unbelief. And, And what you see there is they didn't see the righteous thing that was in God's heart for their life. They didn't see the the work of God to give them the land as a gift. Their mind wasn't filled with the strength in God's hand, but what happened there is they forgot about the works of God. They forgot about when God grabbed them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They forgot about the wondrous works of God when he parted the Red Sea, when the, the angel of death passed over their house because the Father provided them a lamb that caused death to pass over them. They thought about the God that could even deliver from death. They forgot about the God that could even overcome death. And what happened was, is their minds were filled with their own strength, or rather their own weakness, and the strength they saw in the giants in the land. That's what they thought about. And so they never experienced the promise of God. That's what it means, that they staggered at the promise. They couldn't experience that they were going to reap from the work of God. And all they could think about was filling their belly with their own works. And so they were filled with unbelief because their minds were filled with their own weakness and the strength that was in the world. I'm still just giving a definition of unbelief and what it looks like. When the devil tempted Jesus to turn the the stones into bread, you guys remember when he did that? Do you know what he was tempting Jesus to do? To feed himself with his own ability. Jesus was clothed in corruptible flesh at that time. What he's really telling them is, listen, man, make the strength in that perishable body your food for life. Feed yourself, right? Well, Jesus knew that he couldn't feed himself with an incorruptible life. He knew the Father was the one that could feed him with an incorruptible life. He knew the incorruptible life he longed for was in the Father. That's why Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. What word? The word of life. The promise of a life that overcomes death in the flesh, right? And that will raise up a body that can never taste death again. That's what Jesus said. That's the bread that I'm feeding on. That is my daily bread. This is my daily bread. Oh, you are. You guys realize you're eating something every day. And I don't just mean that you're eating eggs. And we love you guys as eggs. 
Those eggs are nice. And, and like Paul said about the law, if righteousness could come by the law, then verily it would have come by this law. Listen, man, if life could come by, by anything, it would come by those eggs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but put food to the side. We're feeding on something every day. We're filling our bellies with something. And we're either filling our bellies with the incorruptible flesh of the man Jesus or we're filling our bellies with the corruptible flesh of the life that's in the world. One will cause us to be satisfied and no longer hungering. One will leave us like the all-you-can-eat buffet that's got filler in it where we ate so much trying to be satisfied, but we're all bloated and not really satisfied, but we feel so bloated we can't eat no more. You see what I'm saying? You guys understand that? And so it's like, what life are, are we feeding on? One life will produce unbelief in us. One life will produce faith in us. One life will produce fear and insecurity and agitations and laboring for meat that perishes, right? If you're laboring for the life that, the world has fathered, that life perishes. And you're spending all your time trying to uphold the body of death, actually. In fact, you're spending all your time trying to build upon the very body that's serving you with fear. It's like you're trying to keep it alive. The, the body of death that God come to remove so that we could have fear removed. It's like, listen, man, if you're feeding on the life that's in the world, you're trying to uphold the body of death. You don't realize you're doing it, but that's what it will cause you to do. You will be taken captive by your own lust for life because you'll behold that life is dying and that will cause you to try to work to prop up that life. And now your own works have become your food for life. And now so you're feeding on corruptible flesh and you're feeding on your own works to, to try to prop up corruptible flesh. Instead of seeing the table God prepared for you, one that's filled with incorruptible flesh, one that's filled with a body that can never die, and where you're all the time feeding on an incorruptible life, the one God did a work to put on display in your midst. Right? One will fill you with faith. One will fill you with unbelief. Just like with me in the beginning. And I'll get to this at the end, hopefully. But my, my mind was all the time filled with the weakness in myself and the weakness all around me. That's what I thought about every day. And I, Lord, help my unbelief. You know what God said to me? And it's taken me years to, to sort through all the ramifications of what he said to me then. And there were different uh, parts of what he said and the different workings in healing my heart. But the thing that he said to me was, have you considered the resurrection lately, Greg? At the time, I did not want to hear that. Because you think you know about the resurrection, right? Well, of course I believe in the resurrection. What kind of nonsense is that? You think it's a non-question. But do you see what he, what he was trying to say to me? As I was filled, my mind was filled with the weakness I saw in my own flesh. And I wasn't filled with the body that he brought forth when he raised Jesus from the dead and glorified immortal flesh. My mind wasn't filled with the strength in his hand to build me an incorruptible life and to build me a body that wasn't made by man's hands or by Adam, but a body that was made by his hand. 
And I wasn't thinking every day about how he did a work to overcome death in the flesh, how he did a work to overcome the weakness I saw in my life. I was, wasn't filled with what he did to cause me to overcome death. I was all the time filled with the death I saw all around me. And that's what was tormenting me. Does that make sense? You guys following that? You know what the world's trying to do to everybody right now? Fill their minds with corruptible flesh. You know the fear we see in the world right now is on account of unbelief. And do you know what that unbelief is? It's because their minds are filled with the life that's perishable, the life that the world can offer, they can't see the righteousness or God's righteousness towards them to care for their life. And so every day, they're not thinking about the work God did. Every day, they're thinking about the weakness they see in themselves and the weakness they see in the world. And that has produced in them the kind of life where they're trying to be fed or find their hunger satisfied by the works of their own hands. And so you see people in the earth right now trying to establish their own works. I promise you, you're not trying to establish your own works if your mind is filled with the work of God to overcome death in the flesh, right? And that's why the gospel is so critical right now. And that, that's what it means to be a light in the world. To be a light in the world doesn't mean you go, doing some, go do some good deeds. You know that there's nonprofit organizations in the world that don't even believe in God that feed the poor. Feeding poor people right now can't deliver them from fear. And I'm not saying it's bad to feed poor people. We also give money to feed poor people. Now, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. This isn't about whether it's good or evil to feed the poor. But that's not the kind of thing that will deliver people right now. The kind of thing that the only thing that can deliver people right now is for the work of God to overcome death in the flesh and to build a body that's been glorified with immortality that has the kind of flesh that can never be touched by death or COVID or vaccines or masks or not masks or not vaccines or governments or non-governments. That's the only kind of a work that can deliver people from what they're experiencing right now. And guess what? God has done that work. And that's why the gospel is so critical right now. The church ought to be gathering together and wit being witnesses of the work God did when he raised a man out of the grave. Mm. It's like Paul said, whether circumcision or uncircumcision, that doesn't avail anything. Nothing. You realize how we have our own thought. You see, the thought there was circumcision could give you something or uncircumcision could give you something. No, that doesn't do squat for you. And I'll just put it in language now. And I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I am trying to get us to be feeding on the work God did instead of the life we see in the world that's perishing. Do you see what I'm saying? Whether mask or not mask, that doesn't avail us anything. Whether vaccine or not vaccine, that doesn't avail us anything. Whether Democrat or Republican, that doesn't avail us anything but faith, which works by producing the life of God in us. And do you know where faith comes from? Through the hearing of the work that God done in Jesus when he overcame sin and death in the flesh. That's where faith comes from. The only thing that will avail you anything right now is the faith that was manifested in Jesus being raised from the dead. That's the only thing that will avail you anything. There is a faith for you inside of the work that God performed in Jesus. 
and the preaching of the work God performed in Jesus. It is the declaration of faith. And it isn't the declaration of faith of you must believe. It is the declaration of a work that will serve you with faith. And you'll walk in this world with your faith towards God. Instead of your faith towards systems, instead of your faith being in the weakness of the flesh or the weakness in the world around you, your faith will be in the power of God's might. And you'll find your conscience purged from the mask availeth much or the non-mask availeth much. (laughs) Or the vaccine avails much or no vaccine avails much. You'll find your thoughts healed from that. It doesn't mean you won't have an opinion, but you won't be all the time thinking of it. Listen, man, if you're all the time thinking of the vaccine or not the vaccine, the mask or not the mask, I hate to break it to you. Your faith is in the strength of man. You're filled with unbelief. There's no shame for you. Every single one of us has been filled with unbelief at one time. I just said I'm the chief of all those sinners. But we're not going to walk and be deceived and act as if that's the way of God. It's not the way of God. I hope that makes some sense. I preached a message a long time ago called Salvation from Unbelief, and this goes along those same lines. And so I want to pick this up, the story of the demonized boy and the father um, at the end. And so just to give everybody, I don't want to read through the whole thing because there's so many verses. But, you know, you have the boy that, that has a deaf and dumb spirit that causes him to thrash all the time throws him down on the ground, flops him around in the fire, causes him to um, just be overcome with uh, a demon spirit. And the the father brings the the boy to the disciples, and the disciples um, couldn't cast out the spirit. And so then the father brings the, the boy to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, how long has this been going on? Right? And the father says, oftentimes, Lord, from he was young, and this is what it would do. Right. And so the, then the father and the father, Jesus says, well, if you believe all things are possible. And that's when the, the father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And we'll pick it up in Matthew chapter 17, verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. That's the work of God. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. This kind goeth not out by prayer and fasting. Now, I've, I've said this in, in, in the messages I preached a long, long time ago about this. But when the context there is the unbelief. That's, that's the context. And so the context is unbelief going out from the disciples, right? The, the spirit had already been removed. The disciples want to know, why couldn't we cast out the spirit? Jesus says, you couldn't cast out the spirit because of unbelief. And then he says, the kind of unbelief that is affecting you, it doesn't go out but by prayer and fasting. You guys make sense? Does that make sense? 
So Jesus wasn't telling them, well, if you go over there on the side and pray and, pray and fast, then that, that's the power to, to cast out the demon. He's talking about that's the power for your heart to be healed from unbelief. That's what he's talking about there. So he says, this kind of unbelief goes not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, I just used the term prayer and fasting. How many of you drew a blank? How many of you thought, I have no concept for what the words prayer and fasting mean? Or does everybody already draw some ideas of what those words mean? Like Linda, you, I mean, you, you know what those words, you have some ideas. Like if I, if I talk about a dog, do any of you draw a blank or do you have a picture of a dog? You know what a dog looks like. So I use the word prayer and fasting, and none of you draw a blank. Already you have an idea of what those words mean to you. Now, something interesting about the term prayer and fasting is that it's the Jewish idiom. An idiom is what we call slang. And this will, this will carry particular weight with us. I don't know if you guys realize it, but in the United States, Louisianians, I think, talk in more slang than anyone in the country. Like New Orleans, the, the metropolitan area, you get off into like Lafayette and Cajun land. I mean, listen, we had the Cajun night before Christmas. I mean, have you ever read the book, The Cajun Night Before Christmas? I mean, we grew up doing those plays. We didn't do the night before Christmas. We did the Cajun night before Christmas. That's slang. And everywhere else out in the world would have no freaking clue what any of that means right? They would not understand what it's talking about. So the, the term prayer and fasting, it meant something specific to Jewish people at that time. It wasn't just some random words that he used in English that don't mean anything. He was talking about something specific. It was Jewish slang. And just to give you another example, it's like, and I'll probably say this horribly, you guys forgive my articulation of li linguistic uh, terms language. Lazé, les bon temps, roulet. Now, that means something specific to me. And it means something specific to the people in Louisiana. It has a specific meaning to it. The people in the New Orleans area and the people in Louisiana. Now listen, that's French. Lazé, les bon temps, roulet. That's French. Now I could say that to a French person, and they could understand the words, and they could say, well, those words mean let the good times roll. But they would have no reference for knowing that that's making a specific mention of carnival or Mardi Gras. They would just think it means let the good times roll. They wouldn't understand that it was slang or an idiom for Mardi Gras and for a gigantic party that happens in Louisiana. And they wouldn't understand that when I said those words, what I'm talking about is Mardi Gras. Throw me something, mister. It's like I started my message in South Carolina trying to explain Jewish idiom to those guys. Um, when Jesus says, I think not that I came to destroy the law, I came to fulfill. Again, we read our own meanings into those words, not ever asking, well, what would that mean in the Jewish context? And what I did there was I started singing the song. Down in New Orleans where the blues was born. It takes a cool cat to blow a horn on the side of Rampart Street. The Mardi Gras plays with the mambo beat. Now listen, 
Ain't a single person in that room had any freaking clue what I was talking about. None. Why? Because they're not busy with our culture. And so they don't know. Now, they could assign some meanings to some of those words on their own because they do understand English. But it wouldn't be what's in my heart when I sing that song. And so we can read the term prayer and fasting in the Bible, just like they could understand those words. And and we can know those words. We can know those words have a certain meaning to us. But if we don't know what it meant to those people in that day, we're going to get it all wrong. We're going to get it all wrong. And we're going to read our idea of what those words mean into what Jesus is saying. And then we're going to think the power unto uh, unbelief being removed from us is if uh, we don't eat any food. (laughs) Listen, I promise you, the Pharisees didn't eat food more than anyone. And they had more unbelief than anyone. In fact, they had so much unbelief that they crucified the Lord of glory. But they were all the time not eating food. And so, just so no one gets confused, you could also not be eating food, but not eating food doesn't define the fast of God. Right? And so, in the Jewish mind, when you use the term prayer and fasting in that day, what it means is to seek the face of the Lord. It means to seek the face of the Lord. It means to delight yourself in the work of God and in the strength in His hand to provide you with life. That's what prayer and fasting meant. It meant to delight yourself in the work of God. Delight yourself in the work of God just means to fix your eye on the work of God and the strength in His hand to provide you with life. That's what the term prayer and fasting means. It talks about a rest that comes upon a person on account of their eye being fixed on the work of God. That's what prayer and fasting means. And if you go read Isaiah chapter 58, you can read the whole chapter. When you get to verse 3, Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, he describes fasting as afflicting your soul. Do you know what it means to afflict your soul in the Old Testament? Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29 says, afflict your soul means to do no work. And it's talking about the Sabbath. It's talking about you delighting or being delighted so much in the work of God that you've been put to rest from your own works. And so the fast that Isaiah 58 comes and talks about, the way it describes that fast is as a person afflicting their soul and ceasing from their own labors to gather life to themselves. That's the fast that it talks about. If you keep reading Isaiah 58, when it gets to verse 13 and 14, Isaiah goes on to say, the fast God has chosen is for you to delight yourself in the Sabbath. That's what he goes on to say. In fact, the Jewish people in that time, they weren't eating food. And they were telling God how they were fasting. And God comes through Isaiah and says, is that really the fast that I've chosen? Where you're still filling yourself with your own pleasures and your own labors? Your mind is still filled with your own works. The fast that I have chosen is one where you would afflict your soul. 
and do no work. The fast I have chosen is one where you have been delighted by my work. And because of your mind and your eye being fixed on my work, you've been put to rest. That's the fast I have chosen, is what Isaiah comes and says. You know, the Sabbath, the Sabbath, we missed the part about the Sabbath. There's a rest in the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is not, you must rest. The Sabbath doesn't come and declare to you to rest. The Sabbath has a rest in it because the Sabbath comes and declares the work of God. When the scriptures talk about entering God's rest, it's talking about there's a rest for you within the work God has done. And when your eye is fixed on the work God has done, a rest will come upon you and that rest will have come from God and not from your own effort to rest. That's what it's talking about. So the, the, the Sabbath wasn't about you using your ability to do no work. For so long, when I thought the Sabbath was just about I must rest, I was all the time using my own ability to try to rest. And I just got to be honest, that made me lazy. <laughs> Did I say that? Is that a cuss word in the grace circles? I was trying to bring forth rest for myself, and I thought the power unto rest was to uh, cease from my activity. Instead of seeing that the Sabbath was about a rest that comes upon your heart and your flesh, where you're no longer laboring for the meat that perishes, or you're no longer laboring because you filled your belly with the body that perishes or the life that perishes, right? And so you could be more active than you ever have been, but none of your activity is from the perspective of trying to build yourself a life or to gather the fruit of the Spirit to yourself. All of your activity is born from you having beheld the work of God to build you a body that can never die. And the incorruptible flesh of Jesus becomes the bread that you feed on every day. Right? So the Sabbath is all about beholding the work of God. It was all about seeing the work of God and then walking in His good work or living your life in this earth beholding the good work that He's done. Where every day His good work is your daily bread. Right? And if you want to know what the result of his good work is, behold the glorified man Jesus who put off a corruptible body and put on incorruptible flesh that can never be touched by death again. If you want to know what the work of God produces, it produces an incorruptible life. The very totality of all he has in himself, all of his life, it produces it inside of a human body. And it pushes out of that human body every remnant of death, every remnant of sin. And it leaves that human body with the kind of a flesh that can never be corrupted or subject to weakness or decay ever again. That's the end of the work of God. And the Sabbath was all about beholding God's work to do that. And as you walk in the world beholding the work of God, what happens is, is it brings a rest upon you. And so, man, I, I want so much for people. We, with the Sabbath, we focused on the rest that is the result of the Sabbath and defined it that way instead of saying, no, the Sabbath actually speaks of the Father's work. That's the Sabbath. You come together and you don't try to rest, but you come together and you have your eye fixed on the work of the Father. If you, that's why Jesus, if you remember it with Jesus, when he healed the lame guy on the Sabbath, 
Remember, the Pharisees came to him and they were very angry because he was working on the Sabbath. You see, they looked at the Sabbath and they thought the Sabbath only meant you must rest. They saw the law and they looked in the law and they said the Sabbath means you must rest and here you are working. And Jesus says something that really explains the Sabbath. You know what he says? He says, now I looked in the law and see that the Sabbath is always about the Father's work. And because I see the Father always does work to serve with life, so do I work. Now we just gloss over that. And we think, oh, that's nice. Look what he did to the Pharisees. That's the part we focus on. Yeah, I love how he smacked the Pharisees down. We, we, get, so excited, we get so excited about it. We're going to win a fight. And the fight here, and we're going to win. And we're going to be right. Hallelujah. <laughs> and we completely miss what Jesus says about the Sabbath. He says, you think the Sabbath is commanding people to rest. The Sabbath is actually about the work of the Father. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so since the Father worketh, and that's what the Sabbath is about, so do I work. And that is the Sabbath is for me to do a work to bring life to people who are dying so that their flesh that was laboring could be put to rest. That's the Sabbath, bro. And in fact, what you just beheld in me is the manifestation of the Sabbath because I am God with this man and I just did a work to heal his body of death. And now he's resting. I just love it when a plan comes together. You see that? So that's the fast God has chosen. That you would seek or have your eye fixed upon the work that he's done. That's the fast he's chosen. So when Jesus talks about this type of unbelief comes not out but by prayer and fasting. What he's saying there is the unbelief that you have in your heart, the only way that it's going to come out of you is by you beholding the work of God. <laughs> if you need help in your unbelief right now, the answer is not for you to try to get rid of your unbelief. The answer is not for you to try to believe more. The answer is not for you to sit around and think about the weakness you see in yourself. The answer is for you to behold the work of God in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's for you to have your mouth filled with the incorruptible flesh of Jesus that God brought forth when he raised him from the dead, having overcome death in the sin that served him with death in his flesh. Hallelujah. And that's the fast God has chosen. You haven't actually stopped eating. It's just you're eating the bread from heaven instead of the bread that's perishing in the earth. You're, you're still eating, but you're no longer eating the body or the flesh of the body that's dying or the life in the earth that's dying, but you're eating from the body of Jesus Christ that will never die. And I promise you, when you're eating from the life that God built when he raised Jesus from the dead, that will fill your heart with faith. And it will send unbelief far from you. It's a real simple thing. You can't sort these things out yourself. It's, is your heart being confronted with the word of life every day? Or is your heart being fixated on the word of a life that can die? <laughs> because if your mind is filled with the word that's about a life that can die, you'll be filled with unbelief. If your mind is filled with the word about a life that can be stolen from, that can be taken from, that can come behind in something that it needs, if your mind is filled with that kind of life, the result will be unbelief. 
That's why it says the apostles were witnesses of the resurrection. To use Bible language, just the words they use instead of our cultural language, they were witnesses of the work of God to build them a body that can't die. They were witnesses of the work of God to overcome death in the flesh and to remove death from the earth. And they were all the time declaring the word of a life that overcame death in the earth. The reason why they were doing that is so the life of God that came forth. Jesus is the bread from heaven. You realize that, right? He is the bread from heaven. And so the the apostles were all the time uh, serving people with the bread from heaven. The meat that doesn't perish. (laughs) That is unto everlasting life. And the reason why they did that is so that they could be delighted by the work of God. And then that would be their daily bread. And what would happen is, is they would no longer be making their own works the food that could give them life. They would no longer be filling their bellies with the corruptible life that's in the earth. Do you see? Hallelujah. That's what Jesus come and said, he who eats... Uh, my flesh is meat indeed. And he says, those that believe on me, he says, they'll never hunger again. And so as you eat the bread from heaven, you'll be so satisfied that you won't find yourself going to the world's all-you-can-eat buffet. You won't find yourself feeding on the kind of flesh or the kind of life that's corruptible and subject to death. You won't find yourself eating from that life. You won't find your mind filled with the weakness of the flesh or the weakness you'll see all around you. But you'll find your mind filled with the strength in God's hand. And you'll be feeding on the strength in his hand by beholding the life he built for you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. If you look at the boy, with the the father of the boy that had the deaf and dumb spirit, That's actually a perfect picture of what prayer and fasting would be according to the scriptures. He sought the face of God, didn't he? He didn't seek his own works, did he? He didn't delight himself in his own ability to be set free from unbelief, but he delighted himself in the work of God to set him free from unbelief. He was prayer and fasting. And in fact, unbelief came out of him. Why did it come out of him? Because he saw the fast that God had chosen. And his mind was filled with the work of God and the strength in God's hand. It wasn't, he wasn't, his mind wasn't filled with the strength in his own hand. And he was healed from unbelief. Unbelief is sent away from us as we behold the work of God. And we behold the work of God. One of the ways we do it is by what we're here doing today. The hearing of the faith. This whole message, all we've done is put the work of God in front of our faces. That's what removes unbelief from us. If you read in John chapter 16, Jesus um, talking about the Holy Spirit, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will reprove you of the world of unbelief and of righteousness. And I'm paraphrasing there because we don't have three hours today. But what he comes and says there is that he, the, the Holy Spirit, will reprove the world of unbelief and of righteousness. And he says that because I go to be with the Father. That's how the Holy Spirit will do that. 
And so the word reprove means to correct someone's belief by bringing something to light. The word reprove means to correct someone's belief by bringing something to light. And so Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh and will remove, to remove unbelief from your heart. And the way it will remove unbelief from your heart is it will show you the righteousness in God's heart towards your life. And the thing that it will use to show you God's righteousness towards you in your life will be me as the Son of Man, having ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God and glorified the immortal flesh by the power of God's might. The Holy Spirit will send unbelief away from you by putting, by guiding you into the truth of what the Father's mind is filled with doing with your life. The Holy Spirit will show you how God has overcome death in the flesh. The Holy Spirit will show you what God has done to hide your life in himself. The Holy Spirit will guide you into the place where you see that God's filled with so much goodness towards your life that what he's done is come and build you a body that can never die. And that he's come and given you that body as a gift. And when you see the life God has built for you, he, and you see the work that God has done to give you a life that can never die, unbelief will be removed from you. <laughs> it's real simple, man. You don't do anything other than hear about the work of God. That's it. That's it. That's the only thing. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will not come and speak of himself but he will guide you into whatsoever things will be revealed in me. What was revealed in Jesus? The work of God. The work of God to do what? Overcome death in the flesh and to build a body not made with man's works, but a body made by the working of God and his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out into the earth to intercede in your heart when you find yourself struggling with unbelief because you're uh, eating the body that perishes, that Holy Spirit is poured out to intercede into your heart to start talking to you about the work God did to build a body that can never perish. <laughs> and that's how he heals your heart from unbelief. We're talking about help in our unbelief. The work of God helps us in our unbelief. When we find each other struggling with unbelief, what will help one another is to be reminded about the work of God. Peter said that in the day we don't find the fruit of God's Spirit manifesting in our lives, it means that we've forgotten that sin has been purged from us. That word sin there is a noun. What he's saying is in the day we don't find the fruit of the Spirit manifesting in us, it means that we've forgotten that God has cleansed us from death. We've forgotten that God has raised up a body that can never die again and that he's hid our life inside of the flesh of that man, Jesus. And that man, Jesus, is going to minister to us that same incorruptible life and he's going to bring us out of the grave in incorruptible flesh. Hallelujah. What about the death in the world? What about the man that conquered death? What about the weakness I see in my life and the world around me? What about the strength that's in the flesh of the man, Jesus? You see, 
In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gives instructions to the children of Israel when they're going into the promised land because he's not going there with them. And contrary to people's beliefs, it wasn't because Moses was a bad boy and he hit the rock. That wasn't why Moses wasn't going over into the land. And if you go and study in the book of Numbers, I believe it is, it says the reason why Moses wasn't going to the land is because the people were seeking Moses and not God. No, no, we don't want to hear from God. Moses, you go talk to God. That's why Moses didn't go into the promised land. And so Moses is giving them instructions. And do you know all the instructions that he's given them in the book of Deuteronomy? Do you know everything he tells them is to keep their hearts from unbelief? Everything he told them was to help them in their unbelief. If you go and read, it says, lest you get into the promised land and you think that you have the land by strength of your own hand. And you perish from off the land. So what he says is, is take a leather strap and bind this thing on your arm. And within that thing on your arm, write the words of the law. That the words of that law could be as a frontlet in between your eyes, where you see it every day. So you're reminded of it every day. Lest your mind begin to be filled with the strength in your own hand. Lest your mind begin to be filled with the ability in the world or the strength in the world. Lest that happen to you. Bind this on your arm so that it can be before your face always. Now listen, I know our traditions have taught us completely wrong and we think the words of the law spoke of the work that the Israelites could do, but the words that Moses said to bind on their arm had nothing to do with the work the Israelites could do to inherit the promised land or inherit the blessing of life. Everything Moses had them write on their arm was about the work of God to give them the land. Why do you think it's called the promised land? How can it be called the promised land in an inheritance if you got to work to get it? The very fact that it's called the promised land, the very fact that it was an inheritance, do you know what it declares? It declares that the Israelites were going to reap where God sowed his strength. They were going to reap where they didn't sow. That's what it says in Deuteronomy. You will have buildings that you didn't build. You will have houses that you didn't make. You will have vineyards that you didn't plant. And so the whole point of this wrapping on their arm was for them to always be thinking of the work of God. That would keep their heart from unbelief. You don't try to be kept from unbelief. You keep hearing the work of God. You keep talking with God about his work. You keep talking with your friends about his work. You keep having fellowship around the work that he's done. That will keep your heart from unbelief. If you read in Hebrews chapter 8, thank you guys so much for your uh, patience with me. We're almost done. If you go on to read in Hebrews chapter 8, do you know what God says in Hebrews chapter 8? I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts. And he says the reason he'll do that is so that they can see I am with them to be their God and they will be able to know they are my people. And so God, the, what is the law God says he will write on our hearts? If you read the context of the letter of the Hebrews, it's all about the work God did through his lamb to sanctify us from death. 
to cleanse us from the wound of death that sin was serving us with once for all time. And so what God's saying there is, these people are struggling to find faith towards me. These people are filled with unbelief. These people are in the place where they're laboring after the meat that perishes. These people are in the place where they don't see that I will do a work to provide them a body that never perishes. And so I will write the words of the work that I will do on their heart. I will write the words of the lamb that I will provide to remove the death that's reigning over them. I will write the words of the work that I will do to cleanse them from death and to build them a body that can never die again. I will write that on their heart by pouring out the spirit that contains the words of my work on their heart and they will know that I am God and they will see that they are my people. (laughs) That's how he gets unbelief out. He doesn't just tell you externally. You know, we have a worldly thing where they say you can remember things much better if you hear it, if you write it, if you speak it. If you hear it, if you write it, if you speak it. Well, God kind of saw the same dynamic. Hebrew says he found fault with the old covenant. The reason why he found fault with the old covenant is because it was only external and he couldn't get it inside their heart. And so they never believed. And so God says, I got to find a way, not only where they're hearing about the work of God, but where I can get the spirit that contains the word of the work that I've done inside of their heart also. And so now it's in their heart and they're hearing it. In their heart and they're hearing it. In their heart and they're hearing it. (laughs) Oh, man. It's like Paul would come and say in Corinthians when he says, "Uh, he who plants and waters doesn't give the increase. It's God that gives the increase. And so, man, I might be planting and watering the word of the work that God's done that's in your heart right now through the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit that will guide you into the truth of the work God's done that will heal you from unbelief or that will help you should you struggle with unbelief. Hallelujah. Now I see what God was busy with. I was all the time talking with God about the weakness I saw in my life, the weakness of the flesh. I was actually talking to him about a life that could die. And it was tormenting me because the weakness I saw in myself, I saw that it's a life that can perish. And I was looking at all the ways this weakness could keep me from what was good. And all the time I was talking with God thinking that if I could just get this weakness removed from me, then I could have the life that I should have because certainly the weakness I see in myself and all around me is keeping me from the life that I could have. You see, I was filling my body with the meat that could perish. And it was filling my conscience with agitations and annoyances and labors. God come and said, Greg, have you considered the resurrection? What he was saying was, have you considered the work that I've done to build you a life? Have you considered what I've done to overcome the weakness that you're feeding on every day? (laughs) Uh, No, man, I've been going to the buffet that was filled with filler. And it was like, in that moment, and you ain't gotta know everything about the resurrection. You could tell God right now, I could see, Father, that the power unto being healed from unbelief, is the resurrection. I forsake all things for the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I want to know Christ Jesus and what you've done in the resurrection. And he will minister it to you because that's what he's in the earth to do. That's what the Holy Spirit is here to do. 
So God sees we need help from our unbelief. And he don't run. He sees we need help. And what he does is he manifests himself in his life in the body of Jesus' resurrection. And he does that to put his work on display in our midst. Where we're like, wow. And we start feeding on that. What about death? Death has been overcome in the flesh. What about the world? The world's been overcome in the resurrection. What about my government? My life is under the reign of the government that's on the shoulders of Jesus' indestructible life. What about all the things happening in, in the world? My life is hid with God in Christ far above everything that's happening in the world. You see what starts to happen inside yourself? You're eating the bread of life. And so God did that because he wants your eye to be filled with the strength of his hand instead of the weakness you see in your flesh and the world around you. He sees that our heart is filled with the weakness we see in our flesh in the weakness in the world around me. So he comes and puts on display the strength in his hand to build us a life. And so God has a fast in mind for us, one where we are no longer filling our bellies with our own strength because we have been delighted by his work. He doesn't tell you, delight yourself in my work. He puts his work on display in your midst and you find yourself delighting in it. You find your hunger being satisfied. That's the, what the resurrection is all about. It's all about God setting his work in your midst. So you will feed on the strength in his life. He does a work in your midst so he could prepare a table for you to eat from. And the table prepared by his work is filled with the nutrients of faith. It's filled with the nutrients of faith. There's faith for you in the work God has done. There's strength for you in the work God has done. You don't have to try to work up the strength. The strength comes upon you. That's it. Does that make any sense? Glory to God. Thank you, Father, that you're with us to help us in our unbelief. Lord, I just thank you that you could see all the people anywhere that might be struggling with unbelief. I thank you, Father, that uh, you poured your spirit out on all flesh, that your spirit could just put on display clearly in their midst the work that you've done to overcome death in the flesh and to build them a body that can never die. Thank you, Father, that uh, you have interceded in the body of Christ and you're guiding us into the place where our mind is filled where our hearts and our minds are filled with the meat that doesn't perish and that endures unto everlasting life and that our hearts and our minds are being cleansed from the meat that does perish. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you for coming and taking us by the hand. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. You guys rock.